Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining our recorded podcast today. Russell and I are here with an old friend of ours, Kate O'Donnell. You might know her. She is an Ashtanga yoga teacher. Uh, I think we all met in Mysore back in 2003 or four or something like that. She is also a nationally certified Ayurvedic practitioner and an Ayurvedic specialist. She's on the faculty for the Kripalu School of Ayurveda, and she does trainings in Ayurveda and also consultations. And she's also a published author with three books. The first one is the Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook, which I have and I love, and it's amazing. It has so many good recipes and so much incredible um, knowledge of Ayurveda and how to eat Ayurvedically. The second book she has is Everyday Ayurveda Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind, which also has a hundred sattvic recipes in it. And that's something I want to talk to you more about today is the yogic diet and what a sattvic diet is. And her third book is coming out. It's ready for purchase July 28th. And this is really exciting as well. I can't wait to get it. The Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care, which sounds like it's going to include all kinds of things, even outside of the recipes. So we're so excited to have you on our podcast today, Kate. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be with you. It's so exciting. It's so exciting when you see a friend blow up and become really famous and then you, you start wondering, like, how can we take advantage of this person? Yeah, we <laughs> we think you're our most famous friend. Yeah, you, that is you're so certainly, funny. You're certainly the most famous person we've had on the podcast so far, for sure. We don't know anyone who has three published books. That's amazing. You've been on Fox News. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, that was quite an experience, actually. Yeah, I would love to do more television. I enjoyed it. It's, wow. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a different thing. It's like I'm trying to describe this epic, you know, Vedic knowledge in like these sound bites that have to be, a, you know, 90 seconds or less. That's terrifying. Oh it is. God. It is. <laughs> I can't imagine. Wow, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine how that could possibly go over well. Yeah, I'm afraid it didn't. Oh, <laughs> it could have been the audience maybe. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's the messenger. It's always the problem with the messenger. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us, how did you... How did that all happen? Yeah, how did you get into Ayurveda and how did this all come about? Well, I got into Ayurveda in Mysore you know, from all my travels in India. Uh, I had had a lot of digestive problems. So I went to see Dr. Anil Kumar, who mm, you guys the know. The famous Dr. Kumar. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the with the panchakarma and the ghee drinking and the... The ghee, it's like a you get a ghee enema, right? No, you drink a lot of, well, oh. he, I mean, I think panchakarma is done in many different ways. You probably speak more to this, Kate, but the way he does it is uh, mostly it's a purgation that he that tends sounds to like favor. A enema. I don't know what that is. Well, an enema goes up and a purgation goes out. So. <laughs> okay. That doesn't sound pleasant either way. <laughs> but tell us more, Kate. Well, how did you... How did you find Dr. Kumar and, and what 
what did he do with you? <laughs> well, he was, yeah, I found it because he was, um, I somehow related to, you know, the Joyce family somehow. So right. I, you know, so I ended up over there not knowing anything about anything, um, which was I, an ideal way to be introduced to Ayurveda because everything was experiential. And I was at the Aditya Hospital on Contour Road for, uh, you know, three week purification process. That's essentially what the, the Pancha Karma is a process called Shodhana, which is a, a removal of um, biological wastes, basically, that, that aren't supposed to be in your body. So you can get those out through things like enemas or um, puking or pooping, you know, all these different things. Is is that like divert? Uh, how do you say it? Divert by diverticulitis, where you have like little seeds trapped in in the in the digest in the digestion tract. Is that what is that what you what you mean? That's a that is a disorder that that occurs in the in the large intestine. Yeah. For some that. And- you could do a pancha karma to help with that. Okay. Yeah, but that's that's different. That's not what I had. I just had parasitic infection. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you know, and I I think a lot of my interest in Ayurveda has been in rehabilitating my digestion because I started spending like six months out of the year in India when I was nineteen and I wasn't but, being but, smart. But wow. why were you why were you doing that? How, how did you just go to India when you were 19? Oh, man, I always wanted to go to India since I was little. That's incredible. What where, were you yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah where, did, where did you grow up? Where, were, you, were you in Boston? Where, what were you? I grew up in New Hampshire, where there's is that there was very little what diversity. Yes, New Hampshire <laughs> is a, a small place. The motto on the license plate is live free or die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, good. It's it's kind of a um, you know we we have the White Mountains are there. I, I grew up. You know, my dad was a Episcopalian minister. My mom was a nurse. Um, but, you know, I grew up in a very sattvic household. It was very um, very structured. Kind of, yeah, a little. Yes. Yeah. Like my parents were kind of strict, and you know, we had like family dinner every night. It was this very. Um, yeah, it was. It, I'm very lucky in that way, and so of course, as soon as I was old enough to blow it all out of the water, I right. took off for India and just like just wow. just just like whatever it was that I could do that was as crazy as possible was kind of how I wanted to be. Because you strike me as the the kind of young woman that I would have met in a Grateful Dead parking lot in 1989. Right. Was that you? Did I meet you there? <laughs> in 89? No. Yeah, we were 14, something like that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't I got my first tickets to a Grateful Dead show on the same day that Jerry Garcia passed away. Oh, I remember that day. Yep. Oh, I know exactly what I was doing that day. I do too. Oh man. <laughs> That's yeah. unfortunate. You, wow. you were buying tickets. I think wow. they came in the mail. It was like back when you bought oh, actual no. tickets and they came in the mail right. on that day. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I know. So, you know, it was it was like I found my uh expression of my youth through being in the travel scene in India, like smoking hashish and drinking really crappy rum and hanging out on the beach in Goa. 
oh, that girl, you're that yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was oh. practicing, you know, drumming and dance and belly dancing and like all yeah. that kind of stuff on the, on the that's, beach in Goa. That's the girl in the Grateful, in the Grateful Dead parking yeah. lot who got tickets to India. But how did anybody give you permission to do that? Oh, they didn't know what I was doing. So I, yeah, I started by, by teaching English in a village school outside of Oroville. So I landed in, okay. in the community of Oroville and I was actually on a college course studying spiritual community. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was where Fairly I started legitimate. doing yoga. Yeah, yeah, it was legit. You know, I got credits. I wrote a paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just never went. I didn't go back to school. I stayed in wow. India after that. What do you, that what do you mean by, what do you mean by, in, on your website, you said that you accidentally did yoga in India. What do you mean by that? You know, I guess I mean that I didn't like buy my ticket to go over there to learn yoga. Like right. it felt like a lot of people did. I was just there because I was obsessed with wanting to go to India for some completely unknown reason. Mm-hmm. Since I was little, I saw something on the TV and it looked just so colorful to me. Mm-hmm. It was something about the color. And so yeah. I got over there and I was like, oh, no, I'm actually a West African dancer. Like, I'm completely not interested <laughs> in yoga, you know, and I'm just going to teach English and wear a sari. And, and then this guy came and taught us yoga. And it was like instantly, it was Ashanga yoga. And I was instantly just hooked. It was like I never looked back after that experience. Yeah, there was like a bit of an Ashtanga community in Oroville, I think, around that time. People would kind of go there and also to Mysore well, like as Monica, well, right? Monica was there, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if she was teaching at that time, though. Before Monica, it was Karen Haberman. And uh, at the right. time, she oh. was married to Gerald, the French guy. Right. And yes, doing some Gerald, drumming, I I, as I remember. <laughs> I don't remember any drumming. She was actually she was actually on her way to Cairo to learn belly dance when I met her. Right. I heard yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I definitely Huberman, think of became... her as my first teacher. Oh. Amazing. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. a surprise. Karen Haberman, who became Karen Rain, of course. Yep. Who yep. many and ended up in New England, like me. Yeah. Yeah, wow. That's a crazy connection. What was she like as a teacher for you? Oh, she was great. I mean, she was just that beautiful combination. Like you have this two harmony, like a a woman who is very strong, but at the same time, totally emotionally connected to Mm -hmm. the students. So I always felt safe. I always felt like she, you know, she was tuned into my energy and how I was doing, but at the same time, she didn't let me off the hook. Wow. Yeah. She was strict. Yeah, but yeah. there was a sense that it was like, hey, do you want to do this today? It wasn't like. Right. It wasn't you know, forceful. Not at all. Well, not at all. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I've, it was I've, nice. seen, I've seen a, a senior teacher, I think, um, try to undermine her perspective as, oh, you know, she's she was crazy. But that doesn't sound like your experience. Not at all. Not at all. I felt like she was really grounded and, and had had a you know, long history with the practice. I do, I do think that she was moving away from the practice right around that time that I met her. And I think she was looking to express, you know, her body differently in a more sort of free way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she was really getting interested in dancing at that time. Hmm. Super interesting. And, and was that right around the time when you went to Nancy Gilgoff as well? Or was that, that was, 
I'm sure after that, but like, but how much longer after that was that? That was um, not long after, actually, because I got so sick in Oroville. I came back from that first trip with my little photocopy of the primary series that some guy from like the warehouse scene in San Francisco had given me. <laughs> and I met him in Goa. You know, he was like one of the, the drummers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the little, the John Scott drawings yeah. in the line. Yeah. And I traveled around with that. Yeah. And like, I landed, I was so sick. I was a complete mess. I landed at my parents' house in New Hampshire again. And like, my mom shaved my head because I had dreads <laughs> full of lice. And- oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wore a hoodie wow. for like months. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I had worms. You know, I was like, I had worms that were like moving into my bloodstream. I mean, it was really like uh. kind of serious. My mom was just like, I don't know who you are. I want my daughter back. It was, <laughs> it was crazy, you know? And so I would have been, I guess I was 20 at that point. Yeah. That's like that scene when Cersei Lannister walks through Game of Thrones and everyone throws <laughs> tomatoes at her, <laughs> shave her head and, oh my goodness. And at, the, at that same time, you were like, you were, you were still, you were, was that also the period where you were also very invested in learning about Ayurveda as well as yoga? You know, no, this was, this was before I learned about Ayurveda. So I got into the yoga and then about a year later, I like, I waited until I was healthy enough. And then I went back to study with Karen. Okay. Back to Oroville. Right back to Oroville to study with Karen. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I was working with a, a college student group there and I was like on track to, I wanted to live in Oroville and work with college students there. Um, but I just, I could, my intestines just could not handle me living there, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then so how did you end I, up in Mysore? You know, I, so I, I moved to Maui because. Yeah. Okay. From Oroville. Yes. Because Govinda Kai was like, I was saying. Russell. Go, yes. Russell Kai. Russell, Russell yeah. at that time. Yeah. It was Russell at that time. Yep. And yeah. he, I always try to respect people's new names, you know? Oh yeah. Okay. It's cool. But yeah. he, uh, <laughs> But he like the way that he me. introduced that name to me, he came up to me and I was introducing him. Oh, this is, this is Russell. This is the first guy I studied Mysore with. And uh, Russell turned to my friend and said, my name is Govinda. I, and Govinda is he who leads you to enlightenment. And I said, oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, Russ. <laughs> You're like, I've known you too long. Yeah. yeah, you're not leading us to enlightenment. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's the one who who sent me to Maui, though. He we were okay. Good. Yeah, he's the one who was like, oh, you know, if you like the weather in in India, you should go to Maui. <laughs> okay. And was he in Oroville? No, this was in New Hampshire. I was at Robert okay. Moses's place in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, because Robert Moses lives very close to where my parents live, so I've known him since I was wow. nineteen. And he's been a very oh, influential no. factor. Oh, yeah, he's been a really big part of my my uh, growth in yoga. Yeah, wow. very lucky. I'm very lucky in that way. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he's a great. And then I went on, you know, I went on all those yatras and taught the yoga for a couple of years. And, Right. Yeah. yeah. So you find yourself in Maui with Nancy. And as I understand, you just lived on her front porch. That's right. She was so generous to allow me to let <laughs> yeah, that sounds, there. That sounds real generous. Like you can sleep on my front porch. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it was like, you know, because in, in Maui, you can sleep on a porch. It's fine. Yeah. It's warm, wow. you know. So, and and then it turned into this thing where they started to call me the porch urchin. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, like, she wanted me to be there for, I think, a period of time while I got on my feet. But, like, yeah. I never got on my feet and I never <laughs> moved off the porch. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but it was just awesome. I mean, everybody came to Maui and everybody came over to Nancy's for dinner. It was like I got to meet everybody. It was just awesome. And I didn't know the difference who was who. We were just hanging out. It was like. Like David Williams or Tim or Manju. Who who all was there? Definitely Manju. Definitely Edward Clark, the guy from Tripsicore. He yeah. was, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he came through. Tim was there, Krishna Das, uh, Ricky. Right. You guys must know Ricky. Oh, I mean, Ricky. Yeah. Ricky was over all the time, you know. Oh, yeah. I um, love Ricky. Yeah, Lino. Lino came right right oh, when wow. I moved there. We had a weekend with Lino, yeah. And that was so fun. You know, he's just a, a, a fun guy. Um, you know, Dr. Spoda came through, mm. Michael Fronti. I think wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael Front. Because then I started hanging out down by uh, Eddie Modestini and Nikki Don's property. Yeah. Where there was right. like, it was a different crew, more yeah. famous, you know? Yeah. yeah. You have a very particular, I mean, we all do. We have a particular vibe. And if there's one person I would say that most reminds me of you, it's Nikki Don. And when I moved to the island, I was like in the grocery store and somebody was like, Nikki? And everywhere yeah. I went, everywhere yeah. I went, people come up behind me and be like, Nikki? Yeah. And I was like, who yeah, is this sure. person? It was crazy. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. And I finally yeah, met her. Twin. Yeah. Or your aunt, right? <laughs> it was like she was my, my big sister or something. Yeah. 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 They, they really looked out for me, as did Nancy. I mean, everybody, you know, it was really a, a family there. It was an amazing place. It, I spent my 20s there, basically. It was awesome. You told me once about Maui that it's it's the kind of place where you can live fine if you can just climb a tree to to get food or get with a guy that can climb a tree and get food. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's so beautiful. What strikes me about about your story that's so interesting and, and I, I want to get back to the, the Ayurveda and and your book. But there's something there's there's such an interesting dichotomy, and I think in a lot of us who are in this punk Ashtanga scene, where we're all just kind of we're going with a like a Taoist flow, and we're letting the universe dictate our decisions, and we're going with those decisions. Like, where am I going to find food today? Let's find it. Let's just see what what comes to us. Uh, you know, and we'll climb a tree and go find it, and yet. It's also a population of people who are so extraordinarily finite in their physical self-care. Each each decision that we make with food or with how we're going to craft our bodies and what kind of physical activities that we're going to do, that we're going to make sure that we have total control over this one aspect. Mm -hmm. But everything else is kind of going with the Tao. And I think Nancy is a perfect example of that kind of person yeah she she lived as many people out there did lived a very uh alternative life Mm -hmm. you know it was it was really about um the being attuned to the energy of of the planet and of the cosmos 
which is that's what we do when we do yoga. Yeah. Yeah. So it all worked. I mean, it was just the perfect place to learn yoga. That's amazing. But you didn't find that, um, you didn't find that, that contradiction that what you were, you were, there's so much discipline in Ayurveda and Ashtanga yoga. And you didn't find that a contradiction in the kind of the way in which you were letting your life speak to you. Ooh, that's a good question. Actually. I think that I, I think I have a tendency for an obsessive mind, uh, which I think a lot of our Ashtangi listeners can relate to that probably. And I, uh, it, when you're obsessive about stuff like Ashtanga yoga and, and a discipline like that is like playing with fire mm-hmm. and it, you know, and it, it actually taught me about my tendencies and how, to, and I learned the hard way, you know, by pushing too hard that, Oh, Kate, you're a person who pushes too hard. You know, mm-hmm. now that you, you know, are hurt, how are you going to handle that? And I just always felt like it was um, teaching me about about myself and about this tendency that I have to be obsessive. And it was the Ayurveda that opened it up for me, because then I was I was learning about all these different ways of taking care of the body and all these different ways of attuning to energy, depending on the person's body type, depending on the time of year, depending on the geography, there were all these factors that would taken into account before you, you make the decision about, you know, what's the best time to go to sleep or what's the best thing to eat. So in that way, my sort of obsessive mind of trying to make these decisions to support my yoga practice, it actually became this awareness practice of me observing my environment all the time. And observing my energy body and how it was interacting with my environment. And that would then guide me towards the, the proper sleep and food and, and daily routines. And, of course, the yoga. You know, how to pra- practice my yoga on any given day. That's a, I mean, that's, that's a lot like driving in India, right? Like, it looks like total ca- uh, chaos. But actually, no one is asleep, like you, you might have drivers who are just totally zoned out in in the United States, but in India, everyone is actually very attuned in their awareness of the flow of the street. Absolutely, and it's not like you're paying attention to just one object or one driver. It's a it's the mm-hmm. flow that is the guiding principle. And when you see a Westerner pull out on a scooter, it's like, oh no, arranging yeah. the gear, <laughs> you know, because yeah. they're they're pixelating. They're not like looking at the, you know, you just, I used to ride a bicycle around my sword. It was like, just get in the flow, man. And yeah. I was, I was always fine. I was always like taken care of by the vehicles around me. It's really interesting yeah. experience. But that's really interesting. Cause then, then your, your, uh, your attunement in Ayurveda to these minutia is actually much more about awareness and letting and being, and that awareness isn't chaos. That awareness is, flow exactly yeah oh so after you were in maui then you went to mysore (laughs) how did you get to mysore you know it was nancy nancy was the one and she was like you know nancy was like guruji would love to see your practice oh yeah and it was you know and i was like all right i'm in i'll go back to india even though i was kind of terrified because you were still pretty sick at this time. 
I was, I'm not sure I understood it at the time, but I was, yeah, my body was kind of in rebellion a lot of the time. Right. And so as soon as I landed is when my digestive tract started blowing up. And that's when I went to Dr. Kumar. Amazing. It's, I think like sometimes in India or like other places you get this uh, bacteria or you get like a parasite or something that, um, goes dormant and then gets reactivated when exposed to like the triggers that it lives on. Does that make sense? Do you think yeah. that happens? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And I think there's a, I think that we all have parasites all the time and there's just this symbiosis that goes on. Right. So and then it's large like, changes you in, upset that. yeah, you arrive in India and it's like, Oh, this is my, my favorite place. I'm going to get fed all the right, like microorganisms I need to thrive here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't until, you know, so I lived on Maui for that time. And that's when I started going back and forth to Mysore, um, which was cool. We used to go through Honolulu and then you go around the globe that way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, then I started getting the call from this group in Boston to come and be their teacher. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got back in New England that I I truly started to heal my my body because it was like mm-hmm. this was the environment that was where my original symbiosis had begun, you right. know. So I actually felt much better here. Wow, but that's that's such a radical thing to say that there's a that there's a right geography for us to thrive in, and and that's where we grew up i'm not sure i've ever heard anyone say that before yeah i mean i can't say it's like you know true for everyone but i do i do think that if you're habituated you know to living because i lived in the same property from the time i was four years old until i was 19 so Mm -hmm. i you know i really i do think that um my body my whole immune system was created in that way that's because it's it's fascinating to me because i uh i'm I grew up kind of all over, mm-hmm. but I would say that I'm I'm Midwestern. And I grew up for the first 14 years in in a very bland space in the cornfields, and then I I moved down to New Orleans, and I was by the time I left New Orleans, I was a heat addict. I don't think if I don't think it's an addiction. I and I I just don't want to stop. So, so, so like my diet principally now is almost entirely incredibly spicy food that that um, is entirely red and entirely garlic and like I can't even eat something if it's not bathed in hot sauce and I'm, and I'm wondering if like maybe you're maybe you're suggesting that you know if i if i go back to meat and potatoes i'd feel a lot better it's possible <laughs> i'd have to know more you know i'd have to know more to really help you make that call <laughs> but i mean i'm irish well, i am full on irish on both sides so here yeah. you know here i am eating like lentils you know right. i haven't eaten meat since i was 16 so or a potato <laughs> i don't eat potatoes either isn't that crazy Wow. <laughs> That's the only thing keeping the Irish alive. That's so you you found Dr. Kumar when you were in Mysore and, and did the famous Panchakarma with him. And 
And tell us about that experience. What what made you want to follow up on becoming this Ayurvedic uh, expert, I guess, after doing this Panchakarma? Yeah, I, yeah, I went through the process of the Panchakarma and I had a spiritual uh, sort of awakening. Yes, I did. I did. I had a spiritual awakening, like the curtain was lifted, you know, the angels were, were trumpeting. (laughs) Like it really, I was like, oh my God. And I I experienced my body as a vehicle for evolution. I think it's probably her anus was trumpeting. <laughs> it was. There was that. It was. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I just was so, I was like, yes, this is it. You know, like this is the, this is the system that will teach me how my body is a spiritual vehicle. Like how I know a God principle through a kinesthetic experience because I, it happened. So I was like, it's here, you know, it's in Ayurveda. And so then I just started studying everything and have mm-hmm. devoted my life to it since 20 years. I, I, I feel like we need to know more about this. I, <laughs> when you say it's a spiritual experience and angels are trumpeting, is that in the way that like that happens when you're on acid or the way that that happens when you see light come through, through a rose window like, what does it feel physically in your body when you have a spiritual awakening? Like, what do you, what do you, is there a moment in time where you can say, where you can describe what's happening? Or is it like, you've seen the light and this is how your life is going to go? It was, and you guys, you'll know what I, you'll know this. I think a lot of listeners will also know this, that, that feeling when the small self dissolves and one is a one is aware of oneself as an aspect of the cosmic principle and nothing mm-hmm. more nothing less you know so Man. i i had that experience where it was that's why i say like the the curtain was lifted because it was almost like i was i could converse with mm-hmm. you know what my god principle was and it was, and you know, the, you, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was just curious if you were actually in the Aditya hospital when this happened. I was, I was buck naked, covered in oil. They were like hosing me down with a pressure cooker. You know, it was, oh, it was all going on. It was all going wow. on. We should, we should yeah. do that to white girls more often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just this, yeah. And it was, you know how it is. It's a split second moments like that. Yeah that changes everything. And I, you know, I just never looked back once I saw that there was that possibility was available in this lifetime. And, you know, it's much, it's much less glamorous now, you know, I mean, I don't have experiences like that often. I can count on one hand, you know, the number of times that's happened and it's usually in India, but, but not always. And just like that, like there's in our culture, you could become a Kate or you could become a Karen. And just whether you get strapped down to a table and, and hosed or not. <laughs> For me, you know, and now I know why I was obsessed with India since I was little. There's a karma yeah. there, you know, like Patabi right. Joyce used to say many lifetimes. 
know, yeah. So, yeah, I was drawn to the Vedic way of, of understanding the universe because it's, you know, something that's not new to me. Yeah. And so how would you say that then you have this experience? How would you say that Ayurveda's like has gone on to kind of inform how you're living now? Like, I mean, you're, do you follow these principles? How do you follow these principles? How do you see them in your life? You know, I think that Ayurveda helped me to deal with my, my sort of OCD type. It's not like I'm diagnosed with OCD, but I do, I have an ability, I, my mind can go that way when I'm out of balance that I start to obsess, obsessively think about, um, worry about things mm-hmm. like getting enough sleep or taking a poop before practice, you know, or that kind of thing. Right. Making sure each thing is exactly the same way it was yesterday. Something like that. That happens to me when I move. Yeah. If I move from one house like to another, I get like that. I get really mm-hmm. freaky about stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, I think that not only did the Ayurveda create like a health routine for me where I was like, okay, I can eat this and it won't mess me up. But it also allowed me to um, loosen up a little bit uh, around um, like Dr. Svoboda, Robert Svoboda, he, I've heard him call Ayurveda the art of indulgence. Mm. Yeah. What could, he, what could he mean by that? So it's about like you understand because of the awareness practice that is Ayurvedic living, you understand your body's reactions to its environment, whether that's people or food or weather. And so it's like through observation and through experimentation, I know how many pieces of pizza I can eat before I'm going to have a problem. (laughs) I wish we knew that last night. Whereas I used to just obsessively avoid pizza. Right. Oh. Yeah. And then it was like, right. Wait a there were rules. <laughs> yeah. We don't eat, yeah. we don't do that. Yeah. And now, which it, is very know, different we, from like a red light situation in traffic versus a flow in traffic where you're being aware of what's happening. Right. Right. And we're constantly being um, affected by our surroundings. And you can't control mm-hmm. that, you know? You can't stop right. the yeah. flow, but it's it's just about moving with it. That's a Russell. That's like so right. It is like the traffic, you know. It's, so it's about learning to live in tandem or in communion with my cosmos, with my environment, and that includes pizza, and coffee, and cookies, and you know, margaritas. Like there's all these things I love to indulge in, mm-hmm. and and I can now because I'm not so restrictive, and because I understand. I know Ayurveda also, I've learned some good damage control tricks, you know, of of things, you know, teas and herbs and like all these things you can do to keep your digestion strong. And, you know, and I just like, I I know what I can get away with and what I can't. And so it allows me to have a lot more fun and enjoy, you know, enjoy my senses in, in communion with all of the objects that are available for them. It's a left-handed path. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think sometimes when people first come to um, learn about Ayurveda or, or see these charts that have like good for pitta, not good for pitta, you know, good for vata, not good for vata. Um, instead of it being something that's freeing, it becomes something that's very restrictive, actually. And, um, and so it's, really interesting to me to hear for me to hear that um 
you know, when you really deeply go into it, it can be something that's liberating and uh, more free and more open. Because sometimes I think people get a little bit obsessive about the no's, you know, the shoulds and the shouldn'ts of the diet for their particular dosha or condition, you know. Right. Which I observe that as a teacher and as an Ayurvedic practitioner, I observed that for about five years in practice. And then I wrote the first book because I was like, we have a problem here. Like this isn't translating. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I took away uh, the whole dosha diet thing because it just wasn't, didn't seem to be working very well. Yeah. It's people. like all of a sudden you have a whole group of people that are like, yeah, I can't eat tomatoes. Yep. And I can't eat, you know. I'm not allowed to eat. Yeah, I'm not allowed to eat tomatoes or uh, or potatoes or onions or garlic or whatever. You know, it becomes very um, restrictive. Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the everyday Ayurveda? Your first book, how that came to be, and 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 your your process. And you were you were just starting to talk about. Um, taking the dosha part out of it. How did the whole thing come about for you? Well, it was my, my students and my clients would say, you know, they come in and say, Oh, I have all these Ayurvedic cookbooks, but I, I never use them because I'm not sure what dosha I am and I don't want to do it wrong, you know, and eat the wrong thing. And so the thing is that the doshas are just groups of qualities that have particular effects on our bodies, you know, like cold and dry versus hot and oily. And so if you know that, if you know what dryness feels like and what cold feels like and what the signs and symptoms of it are in your body, mm -hmm. then you can mm -hmm. reach for foods that are warm and moist. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, duh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I organized the whole book around the qualities instead of around the doshas. That was really the difference in how I uh, created it. Yeah, and it's super helpful, actually, because, I mean, the doshas, in a, in a sense don't matter so much. It's more what you're experiencing in that moment or in that day and then trying to create balance around that, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. And so, yeah. So it's like, I think in the beginning, people just need to learn what the feelings are. You know, mm -hmm. what is, what is oily? What is oily in my body? How does it manifest? And how do I know that it's moved beyond what is normal for me? And then they can pick foods that will reduce the oiliness instead of foods that will increase it. Right. Because some people might have a much more of a propensity towards uh, oiliness. Like, like they could take a lot more oil than other people who maybe it affects more um, immediately or in a great, has a greater impact on their physical body or their mind or something. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, constitution is already oily you can't get away with as much pizza as i can because my constitution is a little more dry so i can soak up some of that cheese you know <laughs> in a way that someone else is just going to have diarrhea or get acne from it mm -hmm. right yeah hmm. that's interesting i you remember shankan ryan joyce i think he was like a, a cousin of tubby joyce and he was an astrologer in, in my story mm -hmm. yep i'm I, I did a, a reading with him and he he was explaining my, my dosha to me and he was telling me that I was very uncommon as having a total absence of pitta and that that's why my 
I had so many pitta qualities, which was maybe I misunderstood him, but it it was it was bizarre. And so immediately what I did, of course, is I just piled on the the peppers at that mm-hmm. point, piled on the garlic and the onion to the point where our friend Andrew called me um, the god of onions, the Iruli Ishta Devata. He was his nickname <laughs> for me. Mm. Is I mean, is is that plausible? Is the whole premise plausible? Well, yeah, yeah. That you know, if you're lacking in um, in the elements of fire, which would mean you're a vata kappa type, that mm-hmm. you add fire to your food. But is it plausible that I would have pitta qualities without because I had a lack of pitta? Um, I'm not sure what he means by that. Okay. I already told you he's crazy. You did say that. <laughs> well, tell us more about the book. So you you have the ideas and you have people coming to you and saying, you know, what do you think about this? And, and okay, well, I, maybe I, I can put together a text, but then how do you go from that to such a gorgeous text? Like it's such a gorgeous mm, book. How yeah. do you, what's that? How does that happen? That's Kara Brostrom who's the photographer. (laughs) And she was actually my assistant for three and a half years in the Mysore room. Um, And she, she loved the Ayurveda. She started working with me on her digestion. And um, she, because she had a kinesthetic experience of the Ayurveda, she was able to, um, to take my work and give it a visual personality Mm-hmm. And so every time I do a book, she's, she's done all three of the books. And every time I'm cooking up a book, there's like this six month process that goes on before I start writing where I'm just like, I'm cooking it and I'll yes. sit with her and describe what I see, you know, the vision. And so my vision of this book, of the first book was that it was going to be colorful and that God forbid, I'm about to say this, but that it was actually a little bit Facebook like you know, in that it wasn't like you'd open up and have a whole page of text because people right. just, they're not, they can't hang, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I want text boxes. I want photo. I want color. I want charts, you know? And so I created the book with all these like learning tools that aren't just text. And it was between Kara and Allison Meyerding, the designer, that those two just like sit down and amazing things happen. And on the incredible. art front, you know, when the two of them get together, like they just, you know, I couldn't get the template recipes to work. I couldn't get a visual on that. I wanted to teach people that, you know, there's, there's a process to cooking that you don't have to reinvent the wheel once you know the process. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you make the spice mix, you parboil the vegetables, you put the spice mix in the water, and then you add some kind of uh, milk and you put a hand blender in it and then you have a soup and it took you like 10 minutes. Right. So it was like, right. well, if it's spring, you could use this, this, and this. And I, I could see it all, but I couldn't see it. And then those two sat down and like, bam, you know, they created those charts with the four seasons and wow. yeah. So I mean, as far as the look and feel goes, that's Kara. She did my website. She does the books, you know, my new um, school online, the Ayurvedic Living Institute, she's working on the back end of that. And Allison is, does, designs all my PDFs. So it's, I'm very lucky to have them. And they're both from the Mysore room. Allison was a student. Kara was a assistant. 
Was the was did the book come first, or did you have a publisher come to you and say, what, "Can you can you pitch us something?" This is where it's funny because I was talking to Kara one day, and I said, "We should write a cookbook. We should do a cookbook." And she was like, "Yeah." And we were like, "Oh!" And then the <laughs> next day, I got an email from Shabala Publications. Oh, yeah, and their acquiring editor has been a an Ayurveda client of mine. Oh, amazing. And like five years previous, she had been a client. And then she was like, oh, I see. She saw something Kara and I had posted on Facebook. And she was like, I think you should, I think you should do a proposal. And so she, she kind of held my hand through writing the proposal, uh, which if you can write a proposal, like you've already pretty much written the book, you know? Oh, wow. right. So she got me to, to do that. And that was that it was, I was very lucky because you know, the fire under my ass came from the publishing company. I didn't have to do it alone. So that was, it was good. Yeah. And I was, it was great. And I've continued to publish with them because I've had such a good experience. I trust them. You know, they publish Buddhist books for generations. So there's none of this like weird, um, big business corporate stuff going on with Mm -hmm. me and publishing. Or a confusion about what the premise is or what right. the text is. is. Exactly. It, it is amazing. Like when, again, when you set your attention to awareness, how you become aware of happy accidents or channels that are suddenly manifest and available to you. It's like, oh yeah, that's what actually what I'm looking for. And I was looking for it. Yeah. And it's, it's like, if you look too hard, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot sometimes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's then the thing. Does- yeah, tell us more about your second book. How did that one arise and what? how is it different? So the second book is about Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, the, the so-called doshas of the mind. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, which a lot of our yoga listeners will be like, oh, I know about Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, because most yeah. yoga people, you know, you do learn about that. Right. And, yeah. And I, the reason that I wrote the book was because I was writing the first book, and halfway through, I kept wanting to bring in something about about the mind or about sattva. And I realized it's a it's a whole nother book. Right. So I knew early on that I was gonna have to write that book. And and it became very important because as I as I evolved working with clients, I realized that it's like 80% of the time people's disorders are being driven by a mental process whether it's a belief mm. system or some confusion around decision-making. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and the study of the mind is so interesting and it, it totally overlaps with yoga and with Patanjali's yoga sutras. And uh, it's a topic that I think is potentially more important actually than understanding the physical body for us right now at this time yeah. in history. Especially right now. And so is this where you would find like what a yogic, I mean, people always ask, what's the yogic diet? Yeah. Yeah. The yogic diet is essentially the sattvic diet. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's pertaining mainly to the mind, it sounds like. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to look up the yogic diet, you know, you go to the Hatha Yoga Pradipika and it's, um, you know, and this is the same diet that Patabi Joyce talked about in Yoga Mala. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's like six varieties of spinach, there's ghee, 
there's milk, there's rice, there's honey, there's sugar, and there's coconut. And like, don't yeah. worry about the rest of it. Yeah. You know, Very so classic <laughs> yogic diet. Yeah. So I couldn't write that book, you know? Um, no. <laughs> so I was, I was trying to write the sattvic book for like, it's like, I feel it's, it's like stage two. So you read the first book, you understand the qualities, you start to like be grounded in your body and, and you know, the sacred nature of food. And then you go into this next book and it's like, oh, now we want food as an evolutionary principle, you know, where mm. it, it's actually going to affect like the way that we move in the world, like the, the way that we interact with our, the self, you know? So it's, it's vegetarian. It's a vegetarian diet. There's the sattvic diet is technically no eggs. And that's where you'd hear Patavi Joyce say liquid flesh. Yes. Why do <laughs> yeah. you eat that liquid yes. flesh? <laughs> yes. Which I do eat eggs. Um, you know, I'm very careful where I get them, but I do eat eggs. And um, the sattvic diet is essentially the most important thing is the energy around the growing of the food and the, the procurement of the food and the preparation of the food. So I'm an advocate for home cooking. Mm -hmm. as opposed to eating out and the source I talk about the sourcing of food, you know, and trying to find like going to farmer's markets or growing food in your yard if you can. Um, and it's like, it's about how to prepare food fresh. You know, what do you do with a beet? What are things we can do with beets? You know, what are things we can do with lentils? And I'm trying to provide a diet that is for the householder. Like someone who has to run around after kids or, you know, birth yeah. a child and recover from that. And so I, I do, I try to include a lot of nourishing recipes. And so there's like baking, you know, you've got like cookies and dosas and breads. And I, my problem with the yoga diet is that most people can't really subsist on it well, right. you know. So it was really, I think if we want to be sattvic, we need to try to source our food in a way that is nonviolent whenever possible. I mean, there's socioeconomic factors there. Absolutely. That have to be taken into account, but the, to take something as close to the earth as you can get it and then freshly prepare food and eat it. That's sophic. Right. And I mean, in terms of like a uh, vegan or plant-based um, diet. I mean, so much of our, our dairy comes from very, uh, industrial, you know, yeah. Industrial harmful situations for, for everyone involved. Yeah. Everyone, right. <laughs> Not just the animals, but, but yeah, animals and the people working in those situations. And, um, how, yeah. how does that play into it? Well, dairy is, um, it's, definitely a part of the diet the sattvic diet is used a bit more sparingly um mm -hmm. and dairy is said to be sattvic only when the calf has had its fill right hmm. so that's very different than commercial dairy yeah um, it's more the kind of thing where you know the family has a cow and when there's extra milk they they can drink it and they can make ghee out of it and you know when there's not there isn't you don't have it at that time yeah it's interesting because i mean to naturally in a natural situation where a, a mother cow has a calf i mean it would be the same as as a mother with a child i mean the i'm assuming the mother's going to make the milk the child's going to drink the milk but like you do kind of empty 
out at some point and there's just like not much else there. Um, and sometimes maybe there's a little left over, right? I mean, at some point the calf starts to maybe wean itself a little bit and there's still a lot of production happening. Um, that's something that we don't really think about, I think, in our, our uh, modern situations about how it's the natural way that, that uh, families would have gotten dairy back in the, the days when we all had a cow or several cows to... Right, right, yeah. exactly. So in all the recipes I provide a, a, a vegan alternative... Yeah, like there's nothing in any of my books that can't be done vegan because I I don't assume that everyone can get a dairy that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so difficult. It is, it is. I mean, we're in a lucky in Maine that it's not difficult, but it was in Boston. Absolutely. Right. So there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think that people are used to getting whatever they want whenever they want it. And that's, that's just, that's not the, that's not the yogic way, right? It's more that we're always being aware of, you know, everything, every aspect of the energy of our food and, and that's all coming into our bodies and becoming mm-hmm. part of us, you know? So that's the sattvic way of, of thinking about food. That's interesting. Cause that's, that's one of the things that my family was, was terrified about. Maybe not, maybe not terrified let's say just concerned they were concerned about me in my 20s is that i was i was letting you know i was not enjoying myself mm-hmm. i was not indulging myself like in the way that your parents were very concerned about you um mm-hmm. kind of going off the rails they were concerned that i was i was an ascetic mm-hmm. and i wouldn't i wasn't i wasn't touching anything it's like when are you going to actually enjoy your life when is yeah. that going to, when are you going to do that? Yeah. And it was very confusing for them. How do you feel about it now? Looking back. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I, I said this to, um, our friend Santina the other day that, um, looking back, I don't see how I could have made different choices and yet they were all mistakes. Mm-hmm one after the other yeah and yet they led me to a place that i wouldn't change either like i'm i'm i absolutely want to be where i am but i also look back and say well why didn't i drop out of art school and go to medical school like i really wanted to that you know where you know why didn't uh why didn't i stay in new york you know there there i see decisions that i wished i hadn't made why didn't i stay in taiwan you know, that would have been good. But then at the same time, here I am, and I absolutely want to be here where I am. And I'm and very happy about that. Um, and so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't give up those decisions that I made about that time in India, which um, was insane, the kinds of things that we were up to um, was bonkers, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it either. Maybe yeah. we could have had better information, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like so you, difficult. I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I just you know, I, I think that you do the best. You, you do your best with what you know at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're taking more enjoyment in your life now, like with all of 
all of your knowledge and resources to draw upon as far as balancing and, and how you've said that there's a freedom in, in what you're able to eat and do rather than just saying, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do this. Do you feel like you're, you're able to enjoy your life more now? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. I, I still struggle because, um, I still go to bed early and get up early. <laughs> you know, it's like once you've been doing that for so many decades, it's hard to not. So I do feel a bit um, aside from the flow, you know, of, of life mm-hmm. because of I don't like eat dinner. It just doesn't work for me to eat at night. Right. So a lot of socializing doesn't happen in that way because I just want sleep and sleep is kind of more important to me. Right. So I will once a month just like have at it. And go have, you know, a cocktail, a glass of wine and a meal at night. And it's fine. I can do it once a month. It's fine. You know? Yeah. You're a little sleepy. (laughs) Yeah. I just, you know, what I just get up and have some diarrhea and then go about my business. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, yeah, I, I definitely am not like obsessive about things anymore. You know, it's a lot more perspective. Age brings that. So tell us now, I want to know about your third book, the one that's coming out. I'm so excited. It sounds amazing. What's this one about? Well, I have to say this book does talk about the doshas more. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had to finally go there and get into it. (laughs) And it's mainly about the daily and the seasonal routines, which is fun for the yoga people. Yeah, what is what what do those look like? Can you give me an example? Well, there's yeah, there's morning routines, there's evening routines, like for instance, starting the day with tongue scraping and right. you know, hot water drinking. Evening routines like oiling of the nose, oiling the feet, the ears, um, the alternate nostril breathing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the seasonal thing is about being able to understand how your climate affects you. And making shifts in the diet, but also in the the rhythms and routines. Like, like you might need to change the oil that you use on your body when your climate changes. You know, you might even change like what you drink. Like, there's recipes in the book for home remedies. Um, for example, herbal waters. So, in a cold season, you might drink an herbal water that's made with uh, ajwain or cumin seed, something that warms the body a little bit. And then in the summer, you make refreshment waters with mint and cardamom and fennel and things like that. So it's like you're constantly in the practice of balancing the body through using these these techniques and these herbal waters and, you know, nutritive substances in the cold weather. So it's, it's really like this whole package I'm presenting in this book of how to understand the interaction between like your own body, your environment, the choices you make, and what's for you the proper amount of exercise, sleep, and food. Wow. You're you're really going to become one of those really interesting old ladies, aren't you? I have that feeling, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope we'll still run into each other in Mysore. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't think so. But we'll see each other someplace else, I'm sure. 
Well, we're just delighted that you took the time today to join us on our show and to share your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experiences with our listeners. And we really miss you and we hope to see you in Rich soon. That would be lovely. Maybe we'll see you in Boston. I want to yeah, say I hope so. I want to say again the 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 very last Kapitasana adjustment I ever got was from Kate. Yeah. And mm. it was killer. And if Kate ever <laughs> is ever in your neighborhood teaching, get a Kapitasana adjustment from her. It was sweet. I remember yeah. that, Russell. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, remember. I, was, I, I was like, hey, you want help, man? You were like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I said, actually, put me out of my fucking misery. That is what you said. That is what you said. Yeah. Yeah. We just went for it. It was great. It was a oh, you moment. did. You helped yeah. me so much. <laughs> and so, can you just share with us where uh, people can find you if they want to know more, where they can get your book, and also what's coming up for you? Yes, my website is kateodonnell.yoga. And there's a page, a tab there that has all three of my books on it. So you can look at them all at once. And I'm also uh, doing a lot of online stuff, cooking seasonal cleanses, as well as Ayurvedic theory. And that's at ayurvedicliving.institute. Otherwise, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> I know, we're all kind of stuck at home right now. Yeah, exactly. I had all sorts of stuff lined up, but yeah. And are, are you giving uh, consultations as well these days? or I am, yeah. That, you can find that information at kateodonnell.yoga. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, so nice to chat with you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.